Um, I also have a kind of a, a special announcement, um, Steve. So um, we have enrolled in the Vaccine for Children program um, with the DPH. Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet, WFPR.FM, and in the local Franklin Mass FM dial at 102.9, here today with another session with our health director, Kathleen Liberty. Kathy, good morning and happy Tuesday to you. Thank you, Steve. Happy to be here. We're in good health, fingers crossed, for the day so we can talk about health and how to improve health over time. Sounds good. It's, it's my thing. <laughs> That's your thing. Yes, indeed. And one of the new things I've been noticing, you've got some new alerts coming out on a fairly regular basis. Yeah, we do. Um, you know, so years ago, you know, we would do uh, national health uh, observations monthly, um, you know, on a newsletter or, you know, some paper form. Um, and I'm trying to get away from that. And I think, um, we, we looked at this regroup, which is, you know, similar. A lot of department heads have this type of notification system um, where citizens can sign up for this alert versus mm -hmm. us kind of, you know, force feeding it to those who didn't want to know about, um, you know, these national health observances. So there are, see, if you can't believe it, there's probably 10 health observances for every month, right? So how do you choose? I know. Um, so I have the public health nurse and the epidemiologist who do this. And um, so, you know, they do a quick uh, one sentence about a certain public health issue or a public health topic or an, about the national health observation and um, sends it out to either a text message or email or text and email um, a couple times a month. Uh, we're still fleshing out, you know, what, what, what should we do? You know, should we do it every Friday? Should we do it every Monday? Once, you know, once a week on Wednesday. So we're fleshing it out. Um, but I thought it was an alternative way to get information out about health to those who want to hear about it and mm -hmm. want to learn more. Right. And you know, yeah. most of the, most of the information comes from the CDC. Um, so it's a credible source. Um, we have, a link on our health department and obviously there's a link that goes out with the uh the text message and email mm -hmm. yeah, and for those just to reinforce your point the regroup is also the name uh it's also been referred to as reverse 911 so yes. primarily had been previously used certainly for schools for school cancellations they've got an entire school enrollment piece around that and then on the town side for fire and police from a safety perspective, you know, if there's a road closure or, you know, storm alerts, you know, fire alerts, things of that sort. Um, but now you've expanded it to utilize for a health alert, which is certainly equally important, albeit it's somewhat complicated because there's so many to choose from. What do we want to focus on? But let's pick one at a time and see what happens. One at a time, see what happens. And, and I just think I like to be, you know, a little different in how I present um, health issues. Um, so that I thought this might be a good way to do it. If you can catch the attention and then people can at least start talking about it. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. That's all goodness. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
And then I think the current one, either yesterday or today, I just got announcing uh, COVID test kits are available through the health department, granted limited supply, but yeah, yeah limited supply. Um, that's true, right? So now we can get other information out as well um, with these alerts, not just the health observations, um, observances. I mean, sorry about that. But yeah, so uh, DPH uh, sent out a survey a couple of weeks ago um, asking, you know, what health departments would like to have COVID test kits. Um, there hasn't been a lot of calls from the community since they were made uh available at stores mm -hmm. or pharmacies but you know i still wanted to get the test kits just for uh the community municipal staff whoever needed them you know i wanted to make sure the health department had them available so we do have 68 uh, i believe and um you know first come first serve and i believe we're doing um kits per household member um, so yes any member feel free to call and uh, pick them up at the senior center where they're located. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, as we started talking as well, and it's been a regular topic for at least the last two years, mm -hmm. um, COVID certainly has gone up and down. It seems to be on a slight increase or a slight maybe too much of a editorial comment, depending yeah. upon what numbers you're looking at, there, there, there are increases. So it's going to be here for a bit. And that's been one of our common themes anyway. I think that at some mm -hmm. point it'll be in kind of an, an annual booster uh, with our flu shot since they're so closely related anyway. And it makes sense. And those vaccinated will have a, you know, less severe symptoms than those who are not vaccinated. Um, and so, you know, that's still, um, that's still something that people really have to consider. Now they just came out with this second booster and I'm not seeing the rush to get the second booster um, that I saw in the rush to get the first booster. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm curious um, and I'm anxious to see some numbers about how many uh, people are getting their second booster. Yeah. Some people say, oh, I'm gonna wait till the fall. Um, you know, to be better prepared for the holidays, um, you know, so there's a different thought process, but I think there's a level of, um, I, I am fully vaccinated. So if I do get COVID, then, you know, it should be minor or very, um, you know, less symptoms, right. Than, than before when we weren't vaccinated. So I feel like there's a level of confidence that people have less fear now. Um, so that's, that's my take on the community right now. Yeah. And from our own, my view in terms of kind of my individual family perspective with my wife's condition, uh, immune com compromised, uh, I think mm -hmm. it benefits me to help her. So I just got my second booster recently, um, to, to help her cause she's in a risk category there for sure. Um, mm -hmm. and the other consideration had been, do I wait until kind of the fall when maybe the, the booster combined with flu, um, since it was at least enough of a gap since my original booster, I decided to go now. So I'd have at least you know, that in-between period until something potentially comes out in the fall. And again, whether it does or not, I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> at least at least in the time for the time being, we're protected as we can be. Yeah, as we can be. And I think that's important. And people have lost their lives because they refuse to get vaccinated. 
Um, and it's just, it's, it's so um, preventable, right? And so it's frustrating because although I understand some people, you know, don't believe in vaccines and that's perfectly fine. But when you think about your life, you know, in, in, in your wife and, and this, you know, it's, it's preventable by getting a vaccine. I'm going to, I'm going to take the vaccine versus having it take my life. Agreed. And I think the other piece we had started talking about it for the Franklin Matters readers on this Tuesday, I did share a chart from uh, some valid data where they combined CDC data and the causes of death uh, in periods uh, across age groups. And clearly heart disease is a significant factor. That's the number one death. Cancer in its multiple forms is up there, but COVID had jumped up into number two, at least in the January 2022 data. Clearly, it had peaked a year ago in January 2021, where we were in the heat of um, the first, what was that, the Delta wave, as opposed to Omicron versus BA2. I mean, (laughs) the acronyms and the waves are just all over the place. But um, Yeah. yeah, and to the extent that heart disease is quote not as preventable yeah there are some systemic uh whether health or uh diet aspects of that Mm -hmm. um but to your point COVID, at least we know today you should not you you may still get it but you're not going to get it as severe as if you're unvaccinated then who knows what's going to happen so yeah no but i mean all health right matters right so i mean heart disease in a sense can be somewhat preventable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we talk about heart disease, we actually don't talk about heart disease that much anymore. Um, and I think that obviously the older we get, we, we might think about it more, but the way children eat and the way children start to live their lives matters for when they're an adult. Mm-hmm. Right. And so lots of things, can, can cause heart disease. And we've talked about adverse childhood experiences. You wouldn't think that a child who experiences trauma will have a m- more chance of having heart disease when, the, when they are an adult, right? So, you know, the drive-through fast food meals and, and things like that, that harden, you know, the cholesterol that hardens our arteries and mm-hmm. our, right. people are still smoking, um, you know, too much salt in our diet. There's so many reasons why people get heart disease and genetic is one of them, you know, but in, in sense, if we, we really look at what it is and how we get there, right. I think there's so many steps along the way that we can prevent heart disease um, for men and women. Um, and that's just kind of my take on it. Now, and the uh, the other piece, obviously, is there's been another a series of reports around the uh, obesity level certainly rising, which would be a contributing factor as well, because yeah. now you're the body is just so big, it's forcing the hot to work harder and harder to do what it needs to do. So, yeah, 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 yeah. it's there. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> uh, no, no, but at least. To the extent that COVID, if it is at least becoming somewhat more stable, allows you to, as a health department, start focusing on some of those other pieces. Because as we've talked here before and listeners, and we appreciate them, we'll be able to recall, there are a number of aspects of the health 
uh, arena that need to be addressed. And yeah, what do you, how do you pick and choose when you're sending out an alert? Where, where are we going to focus? So. Well, and you'd be surprised too, right? I mean, because there's some that make no sense to me, but then there are others that say, I just, you know, spot on, this is what people need to know. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe it's because it piques my interest, not sure. Um, you know, or what I think is the most important, but obviously someone else might think otherwise, right? Right. Um, you know, we have a public health nurse now and um, she actually started doing um, blood pressure clinic and um, blood sugar testing over at um, the housing authority. Sure. Um, and she's doing that on a biweekly, um, I think, bi-weekly. And um, those things are important, right? So people need to know what their blood pressure is, if they're having some problems, if they do have some form of heart disease, um, some who are obese and having a, a sugar problem, mm-hmm. you know, so we're, we're providing those, um, that, that type of program, I guess you might say, to people who might need it, right? And it's starting to just start to um, awaken a little bit. We're getting right. a few more people coming all, you know, every, every time. Mm-hmm. So that's really good. And then, um, they, the epidemiologists and the public health nurse have been having, um, it's like a health bingo, um, t- time over there as well at the housing authority. And they pick a topic, whether it's nutrition or, or heart disease or whatever. And, uh, they play bingo and it's, they have a really good time. And so, the point is not only educating people um, the importance of a healthy diet or the importance of watching your blood pressure and sugar, et cetera, but we're available and we're out in the community. Um, and so I think that that's really important that people know. Yeah, which is one of the reasons why Chloe and I appreciate you taking the time to do this, because even when we do this on a monthly basis, that at least helps to create that awareness that oh by the way yeah we do have a health department that is some of the services the town provides let's take advantage of it yeah and and like we're, we're going to be getting training on um it's called stop the bleed training and this is going to be um offered to the health departments in massachusetts um pretty soon i, I don't want to give too many details mm-hmm. and what, once the nurse learns this this is we will bring this to the community there's just so much, right. That people need to know about, but stopping the bleed, um, is a wonderful way to help people who may fall. Right. So, yeah. so we have elderly people and we teach fall prevention, but doesn't mean that they're never going to take a fall right. and what to do if they're alone and they have a bleed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so that type of thing. So we're starting as we emerge out of the pandemic and all the contact tracing and calls and things like that, we're starting to, you know, blossom, I guess, into like, you know, into the community. Into the other areas. And I think I recall from a prior meeting, one of the things that's also kind of on the future is she's taken the training now in terms of delivering CPR training as opposed to, and clearly there are other places to get it, but now if we can have it through the town, that's much more available at some point once it, once it's here. So. Yeah. And I'm so pleased because there's just so much we can do, you know, and then just for the fun, a fun piece, we're going to be having a fall into health, health fair at the library, um, you know, that we're arranging in the, in the library is hosting. Um, so we'll be, you know, 
that's so much fun, you know, attracting vendors and getting them to come and having the community come and learn about all these resources that are available that they may not know about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so those are the things that just, you know, make my heart beat. It's just like, I love this stuff. I love getting this information out to the community. So that's some of the stuff and, and not to jump like jump around, but we're also on the same um, theme of community resources. We're actually, um, by the end of May, we'll be promoting a new GIS system for the community um, regarding health equity um, and resources, health resources. So um, that'll be coming soon. And I think uh, I can't wait to talk about it with you more once mm-hmm. I have more, sure. more data, more information. So yeah. stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, that that'll, that could be one of our focuses for next month. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Sounds like fun. <laughs> yes, there's there's more to happen. More yes. more going on. There's enough going on anyway. It's just a matter of okay, what do we do now? What needs yeah. to be done now? <laughs> right, right. But um, I was reminded of a little bit when you you and I were talking before you started recording the podcast. As we, you know, we talked about um tick-borne diseases Mm. and things like that. And I just want to, just want to bring up that. And I I know I've talked about this with you a million times, but we're seeing more cases of anaplasmosis and babiosis than Lyme disease. Um, So I just want people to remember that other than Lyme, there's still two, two other serious diseases that you can get from tick-borne tick bites um, and so I just want to make, put that out on the radar and we actually are doing a, um, a presentation at the library, um, about, um, these diseases, including Lyme, um, that'll be coming soon. The public health nurse will be doing an activity and a presentation at the library, mm-hmm. uh, about this. So you can never learn too much about ticks and, <laughs> and what they, the, really some awful diseases. And, um, but it, again, we talk about it's preventable. Right. And I think we spent, we did a separate episode. Was it last year or the year before? Again, because of COVID, I'm losing track of exactly when year, it was. The year before, remember my word of the day was questing. Questing. Yes. Questing. Yes. Definitely. What do. <laughs> yep. But again, to your point that it is preventable, granted, we're going to go out, we're going to do some hiking, whether it's in the woods or fields it's the simple check when you come back in never mind having when you go out make sure your exposed exposures are covered or if the weather is such you you're going to be exposed then when you come back make sure you check nobody's still on and the animals as well especially if the dogs or cats or whatever are with you definitely yeah because they can carry them as well yeah and tis the season um i also have a kind of a a special announcement, um, Steve. So um, we have enrolled in the vaccine for children program um, with the DPH, Mm -hmm. which which puts us the health department at a different level as far as um, providing vaccines for the the town. So the town people know that we do offer flu and obviously we've had many COVID clinics. Um, So but what this entails is that we will be able to provide uh, flu vaccines and other vaccines for children who are under the age of 18 and who meet the criteria of um, underinsured or not insured. Um, it's a statewide 
uh, criteria. Um, so that's something that we're, um, we're working on. And so when we hold our flu clinic in the, in the fall, mm-hmm. most likely have state supplied flu as well. And be able to provide that for um, the ages 18 and under who meet this, the state's criteria uh, for getting that vaccine. So this was a real cumbersome um, application process. Uh, the public health nurse was uh, literally racking her head against the wall, but uh, she got through and we did it. So yeah. that's a huge announcement for the for the town's health department. Yeah, I know. I appreciate your effort and her effort on that, because I know it's been a topic of our conversation from time to time where, you know, trying to get things from the state is not necessarily the easiest thing to do. Yeah. It's not, and with good reason though, for vaccines, though, I, I understand the process, um, but it can be very beneficial, especially if you have children entering the school system and they don't have a pediatrician um, and we have the necessary vaccines for them um, that we may be able to start a a small program Mm -hmm. uh, for, for, you know, certain folks. So, I mean, stay tuned, there's more to come, but just the process alone is finished um, and that's huge. Yeah, I, I recall you had great hurdles to go through to get once you had the nurse to begin with, <laughs> yeah. you, you needed that to begin with. But then then the registration process to get formally accepted, certified as whatever the term is from the Department of Public Health, um, yeah. that certainly enables us to do a lot more. Yeah, so. exactly. That's that's all good. That's all good. And I'm sure you'd also be coordinating, especially since that's the 18 and under group, that's the school community. You'd be coordinating that with through the schools as well. Yeah, because that'd be a yeah. key key spot. Yeah. Absolutely. Good. Some more to come on that front. Yes. So what yes. else are you doing in your spare time? <laughs> um, well, I can talk about uh, the abandoned housing initiative if you want. That would be sure. Fun. Yes. So the uh, attorney general's office um, created this program probably 10, 12 years ago during the height of the foreclosure Mm -hmm. um, period. And it was to bring these abandoned homes that have been left with people who are, you know, went into foreclosure um, and the homes just sit right and are unstructurally sound after a while or, or used for squatting uh, for someone who doesn't have a home. Um, and you run into a lot of, a lot of public health problems with this. Um, and so this program allows for us to have the owner, whether it be a mortgage holder, uh, individual owner, um, to bring the abandoned building or dwelling up to minimum standards through the housing court in Worcester. I, this is my third town and my first town, I uh, was involved in this program and had six abandoned homes brought up to minimum standards and they're still beautiful today. Um, The second town I was in, I had about three or four more success stories with this program. And we, meaning the health department, building department and the fire department and police department ran into a situation with a home in Franklin that we all had areas that we could have addressed. Mm. And so we all sat at the table and said, I could have done this. I could have done that. I could have done this. So we formed a task force called the Habitable Housing Task Force Mm -hmm. that is um, building health, fire, and police. And um, we come together on a monthly basis and 
we identify abandoned homes and we do a car, we do uh, inspections together with the attorney general's office. Mm. And then, and then each one of us does what we have to do. Right. So I would send sure. a letter. Um, yeah. And so we have, um, about four or six or eight now, I can't quite remember. And we have movement on at least half of that, half of those. Yeah. That's good. Um, yeah. So we're really proud of the work that we're doing. Um, more so I'm proud of the, the owners that have come to the, the table and said, okay, Hey, listen, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the homes uh, has already been demoed. Um, that was a big problem for uh, a residential area in town for years. And so um, the ball keeps rolling and we're going to keep doing this and meeting monthly and um, bringing our, our expertise expertise to the table. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. In a, yeah, coordinate, so in, a, in a coordinated effort, which certainly makes a whole lot of sense. So, yeah, absolutely. But with the pandemic, and I started right before the pandemic, right? So yep. we hadn't had yep. the opportunity to do that. So here's another part of what we do that's starting late, but it's because, you know, we have freed up time. Mm-hmm. Well, even if you had started, it might have been put on the back burner as you got diverted to do all the well, pandemic stuff anyway yeah, exactly exactly so yeah so obviously i'm pretty busy which is great it's absolutely nothing, great nothing wrong with that yes no. yeah yeah we all need to maintain good health and there's many aspects of that <laughs> there are there are and there are, are unfortunate people that do kind of somehow they have the radar they know where there's an abandoned property and I call it abandoned, even though it may be individually owned by somebody, but it's still, no one's living in it and not, and no one's not caring for the property. Mm-hmm. Somehow unfortunate people gravitate to those properties, making it unsafe for them, you know? Um, so, and that's, that's the point of this too. We want to make sure that these places are secure and no one can get in the, into them and be unsafe. Yeah, and then to the extent that at least the owner and or owners um, start doing something proactive and uh, long term to, you know, address the issues. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's the latest and greatest. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking time today amongst your busy schedule. We appreciate oh, it. We've covered a couple of key points and I'm sure there's more to come. So. There's always more to come. <laughs> There's more to come. Absolutely. There's always more. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. And for the listeners, we do this again as a reminder because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tin Type Tunes in 2008 and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. 
By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.